0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Fitness Canner Podcast. Dr. Quinn Hennock joins us today. Dr. Hennock is an internationally recognized physical therapist, author, presenter, coach, and he is also a member of the clinical athlete team, which we'll dive into later. Dr. Hennock, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Eric. It's an honor. I appreciate you having me.
0: Oh, don't say it's an honor yet. You haven't been through this whole thing. Who knows what's going to (laughs) happen? Um. So I wanted to explain a little bit about um, Clinical Athlete before we learn more about you. But so Clinical Athlete is, is kind of a twofold process. So for the public, it's a free resource that can guide people to find healthcare providers that will understand their goals related to training athletic performance and what they actually need to do instead of going through like a mainstream um, rigmarole. role. And for the clinician side of thing, it's a platform for athletes to be able to link up and feel comfortable with people walking into the door so they kind of know the person already and um, they don't have to jump for like one person. It, it lessens the referral process, basically, mm-hmm. more more or less. So, um, But before we kind of dive into clinical athlete, tell us a little bit more about you, what you do, who you are. We can kind of go from there.
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm a physical therapist. I'm based out of uh, Southern California. So I'm in Orange County, California. My office is in Newport beach and it's a, it's a physical therapy clinic. It is inside of a barbell gym. So we have a big old weightlifting team and a powerlifting club and we do, uh, you know, adult fitness classes and these types of things. So there's people throwing barbells around all over the place and that's where my office is. So it's a really cool atmosphere and that's, that kind of comprises most of my, of my patients, my, uh, my, my population is I define athlete as anybody who has athletic endeavors. You know, they're walking into my door with like physical activity goals, whether or not they're any good at those activities is a different story. So it's kind of like, you know, how do you define athlete at that point? But 99% of the people who walk in my door are doing so to get back to something physical exercise related, that type of thing. Um, my background was in strength and conditioning early on so that's what i went to school for and uh went to school in indiana so i'm a midwest guy exercise science was my degree I, yeah i played football nice. at a small d1 AA school out there and and then after i graduated i started working as a strength and conditioning coach at at several different facilities and just felt that i had some type of knowledge gap when it came to rehab and injury management and and reducing injury risk and these types of things so i thought physical therapy would be a, a nice little bridge to that gap and went back to physical therapy school to the university of indianapolis in 2010 and that's also around the time that i started my competitive weightlifting career after my collegiate football career was over so it was like pt school barbell sport and then i've kind of molded that blend uh, up until now so graduated from PT school in 2013 and started doing very similar thing to what I'm doing now you know all my clinics I've jumped around a little bit but they've all been inside of a gym and uh so that's kind of been my little niche nice
0: i'm i'm interested in more of like the you said knowledge gap and i think there's a um that's a unique way of putting it because there's there's a definitely a gap between um the the medical side and the like the strength conditioning side or the or the the fit pro side of things so that was interesting that you saw that like there's a there's a gap right away even in your early education
1: yeah well i mean well i'm sure we'll get into this but that's pretty much the reason why we started clinical athlete Mm -hmm. 30 30 years ago was to, to bridge that gap for both sides but you know you it's we can't know everything about everything in the in the amount of time allotted. So yeah. in my strength and conditioning education, you know, and, and legality is probably the biggest deterrent. It's like when I was being trained as a strength and conditioning coach, it's like, well, you're not a doctor, so right. you shouldn't be treating quote-unquote injuries, but yet, how you know, name any strength and conditioning coach that hasn't had an athlete walk in the door that telling them that they're hurt. Sure. It, it ha- you know, it's, it's, an, it's a daily occurrence, multiple times a day. As a coach, you're managing that all the time. But you don't really get any of that knowledge in injury management. It doesn't have to be treating injury, but just managing the person. Mm-hmm. You don't really get any of that knowledge. And then in physical therapy school, I had this preconceived notion that I was going to be like LeBron James's student PT for three years, and it was going to be awesome, you know, <laughs> up in Oregon at the Nike Center or whatever. Um, but it, obviously, it wasn't like that either, and we and got very, very little, actually, of of athlete management or sports injury type management that type of thing in physical therapy school and they tell you that straight up You know, we train you to be generalists, so You're gonna have as much time in the the hospital as you're gonna have in any outpatient clinic and that outpatient clinic itself may not be Sports oriented. So luckily I had the strength conditioning gap now. I I I learned a ton in PT school Don't get me wrong, but there's just more of a divide and I think then that you get confusion on both sides, you know, Mm -hmm. you'll have the athlete in the middle And there are strength conditioning coaches telling them, Oh, you know, we need to do this because we got to get you back. And and the physical therapist is saying, Well, maybe we should wait. And then maybe the physical therapist doesn't even understand the sport. And maybe the strength conditioning coach doesn't actually understand the complexity of the injury. And so, you know, we have this divide. Yeah. Um, and I and I did notice that, at least in my, it was my No Gap in my own mind is and that's why I went to physical therapy school and then in physical therapy school I realized that there was a probably even bigger gap between physical therapists and their knowledge of strength and conditioning
0: Mm, Interesting if
1: you don't have a background in strength conditioning or exercise You're not getting that in physical therapy school to a large degree other than like the Mount Rushmore of therapeutic exercises like the bird dog and the glute bridge and the side plank and you know activate your transverse abdominus, these types of things. Now, some schools are a little different like, and I, and I, I loved my school. Um, you know, kind of like always knock it like that, but there, there is a, there is a big gap. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a framework that people, that everybody has to work in. Like you said, the legalities of, of some things you have to stay within a certain box. And some of those, those things are really hard to break out of because they're such a mainstay and, and we already know that they're safe for majority of the people right? Like doing the bird dog side planks, things like that. We know that more than likely you're the risk of injury doing those exercises are very, very small. And I think I'm on, I'm on the, uh, the personal training side of things. And I can attest to that. I don't like to, to get out of my lane when it comes to, to the physical therapy aspects that I know very, very minimal things. Um, you know, some thoracic spine things, some up, uh, shoulder mobility, some, uh, some hip things that that I see on a daily basis, ankle, knee. Other than that, when it comes to like, I don't want to say, I I use the word prescribe very loosely, but when it comes to prescribing an exercise or things that people can do, I'm always like, look, you can try this on the outside a few times a week, a few times a day. Other than that, if you, if you want to go beyond this, then you need to go to a professional. And uh, it's interesting. I just had a, a podcast last week, um, with a colleague, Simon Shawcross, and we just talked about how there's how there's the the gap between like the the returning to exercise and then the physical therapy side of things. and the best thing that we can do as fit, fit fitness professionals is get a hold of the other specialist, contact them, and let them know what they're going through so um, that's interesting that you saw that you know kind of right away and in, in what you were already starting to to tackle where in in this whole realm, you said clinical athlete was starting, started about three years ago. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, so dive a little bit more into that and, and how that came about and, and who was involved.
1: Yeah. So the, the idea was in my mind for a long time, uh, in physical therapy school, you know, as we're talking about this whole gap thing, I was thinking to myself, man, it would be cool if, you know, there was some type of like community of healthcare providers who specialize in the management of athletes and then coaches that they could talk to. And then we could have this like back and forth types of thing. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, 2011, 12, 13, and I didn't have any resources or wherewithal. I was just trying to pass PT school, you know, a lot going on. So it you was know, just an idea. And then as I, as I gained some traction in the field, the idea started to to materialize in my brain a little bit as to and I started to make you know connections and and you know start to know people across the country that how we could put this thing together. And then in 2015, it's it was me and a friend of mine who I had pitched the idea who's not a clinician, who was actually a patient of mine. He was a professional professional mixed martial artist, um, like national champion wrestler, but he was but he was a business guy and a logistics guy and I had pitched the idea to him maybe a year. Or, or so be, before we actually started it, probably a year and a half. And he kind of brushed it off, you know, as just too much of an undertaking, kind of like a herding cats idea. Yeah. Where it was like good in, in theory and concept, but just not realistic or sustainable. And then as I started to gain traction, you know, it became more of a, of a realistic possibility to, to get a community like this together. And then so in 2015, the summer of 2015, we started making phone calls. And I and I, I probably man I don't know two hundred three hundred phone calls that summer of just like telling people the idea um, if we got enough interest we'd start a directory and a website and a, a forum an educational private forum for us to actually share ideas and collaborate and right in August September of two thousand fifteen we got I think fifty to sixty committed people to nice. to you know be on the map as soon as we launched and in September first of two thousand fifteen we launched the website and. The directory was born right then and there. And so you can go on the website and find a clinical athlete provider near you. and then on the back end, we have a private forum where the clinicians, strength and conditioning coaches, and students of all of those disciplines can collaborate, share video, share research articles, discuss mm-hmm. all the webinars that we do, go in the forum. and and so it's just kind of grown from there. You know, now we've got seminars and online courses yep. and and that type of thing. So, but the, the, yeah the premise has always been the same: connect athletes with providers who they trust, uh, knock down that that barrier to entry, and then provide the provider with the type of clientele that they're most suited for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah.
0: So can you walk us through if you're if if you're an athlete and you're looking for um, a certain individual, what is that step? that process look like for them and then maybe kind of swing back around and and see what the process looks like for uh, the the clinician.
1: Yeah, totally. And as an FYI, we're relaunching a new website and oh, it's been nice. like 2 years in the making and so whatever I describe right now in you know <laughs> a few months if you go on the website it may look completely different Okay. but the premise will probably be the same. You got it. Uh, but right now it's for the athlete it's extremely easy. They simply go to clinicalathlete.com, they scroll to the bottom of the page, and right there is the map. It's a map of the world, and you can see dots on the map. And if you you scroll, you know, zoom in to your area, you click on the dot, and there's all the contact information, and a profile page of a clinician. So you get to read all about their philosophies and their and their um, background, and you know how they work with athletes and and then their website and all their social media. So it's all there and you can kind of, as the athlete, pre-screen that clinician and see which one that you feel is the most is the best fit. Backtrack, those clinicians are screened to even get on the map. Yep. I'm, I'm obviously horribly biased in this whole thing, but I think that we have the most rigorous screening process that I've seen of any directory other than, you know, hey, you paid a certain membership fee and now you get to be on our map, that type of thing. So for clinicians to be, to be listed on our directory, they have to apply. So they fill out an application explaining obviously with their uh, website and, and that type of thing, but more so with their philosophies, their current role, working with athletes, their current, their athletic history themselves, you know, we athletes who have some type of like walk the walk mentality. Mm-hmm. And then that application is pre-screened. And so if there are things that we feel may cause confusion in regards to our philosophies of being more evidence-based and, and kind of questioning old narratives and these types of things will actually mm-hmm. have a correspondence with the person. Then if the, if the application is quote unquote passed, the next step is they have to go into our private forum first. So they actually are required to go into our forum and begin a discussion on a current topic in, in the literature. Or current topic in clinic, but based on the current evidence. Right. Nice. So they have to start a yeah. So that they start a new topic, post a research article about it, and actually have a back and forth with our forum members. Once they do that, and we've had this kind of back and forth, then it's more you you know it's another kind of like um, email correspondence, and then they're on the directory. So there's the tiered process. There's a the filtering. It's very time consuming on our end, and it's. It, it, you know, if we didn't do it like that, we'd probably have a lot more members because it would be a lot easier and less time consuming. Sure. But in order to have, yeah, in order to, to have the best quality and, and filter it out, I see it as a natural filtering process. Like sometimes people see the fact that there's a forum. Oh, I actually have to like discuss things with other professionals right. that stops people dead in their tracks sometimes. So, and that's perfect. That's what Good. we want. We want to filter out people who don't actually want to progress and just want, you know, referrals. Um, cause the way that I see it, the referrals are just kind of a natural occurrence. It's we're we're trying to progress the field. So the athlete, if, if they see a clinical athlete provider, they can be pretty confident that, you know, there there's been a good good screening process and it's much more rigorous than like a Google search or something like that. And then for the clinician, that is the process to get to get listed on the directory. Um, the reason that we came out with a better website is so that the website itself could be more interactive because you know an athlete could go on to the the provider's profile page on our website and keep going there a hundred times and never contact the clinician. So we're looking for better ways to have some some interaction between clinician and athlete before they come into the door. So our new website's gonna have, it's almost gonna be like a Facebook, it's gonna have like profile, like interactive profile pages, instant messaging, um, followers and followings and that type of thing. So it's gonna be pretty cool. Uh, it's just going to connect people a little bit better. Yeah, but that's pretty much it. It's pretty simple.
0: There's so many other professional organizations that people belong to 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 get referrals. Which and there's nothing wrong with most of those, some of those, like you know, like a handful. I don't know. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure once you start getting an athlete or professional starts getting into those kind of things, you can find out pretty soon. Um, you know who's just kind of running people through. You know the the gauntlet and just taking anybody and, you know, building a practice. I, I completely get that building a business. You want to get people in, the more people you, you get to see more people you get to be in front of. Um, hopefully if you do a good job, the more people talk about you. Likewise, you don't do a good job. You have a lot of more people, you know, telling the truth about you, but when you're a part of this community, and it's good to have a system that, that breaks down, and and says look we have expectations here are the expectations you meet those expectations rise to a different level you're trying to improve the entire um your entire groundworking of of who you guys are who you're trying to work with and and get a better get a better outcome for the people you help and so you know there's i'm sure some people are like well you know, I treat I don't even know like what a what an outstanding amount of people a fit for a physical therapist would be. I treat you know the maximum amount, that doesn't mean you're treating at the highest level. Do you understand, like you said, are you still working with like the old narratives or are you are you trying to learn? because that happens a lot in in all realms of of health, wellness, and fitness. You get stuck in one area. It seems to work for some people, so you think it should work for most people and it turns out it doesn't. So um, really good screening process. And I, I think, I'm sure your athletes are thrilled by
1: it, right? We've gotten great, great feedback. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and, and we actually respond to, if there's problems, you know, not everything is perfect. Right. We'll have, we've gotten feedback where we'll say, you know, this, this clinician doesn't necessarily, it doesn't seem like they're in line with what you guys are about, or mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. Cause I just saw you guys post something questioning the narrative of this particular treatment or whatever and then I saw one of your providers post the exact same thing in you know touting its efficacy and so like there's always going to be some of that but we actually take those things seriously and like it's not a it's not a a scare tactic with the clinicians like we're not you know you have to treat a certain way right but they do have to be open to a conversation like I would like it's, it's a requirement to be able to have a rationale for what you do, and I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, if if it's I'm not going to treat like, you know, the P T right down the street, but if we can have a conversation about why we do what we do, other than well, it works, and in my experience, and I've done this for 30 years, and so, you know, talk to me when you're older in the game, that type of thing. Um, that's all. That's all we're looking for. So the feedback, the feedback from the public has been instrumental in in this process. And I think it's really created a, a strongly knit community. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. the Yeah. You, you get those kind of people who are, who might have like uh, 10 research topics that they are research articles that they, they hang, hang on to for 50 or 60 years. You're like, Oh man, this has got to be broken up somehow, have the conversation. And then, yeah, they get, they give you that, uh, I've been doing this for 30 years. Come see me when you've got more skin in the game. And it's, it's pretty evident that there's no room for growth there. And, uh, I'm sure they're helping a lot of people too, but I mean, that, that goes for, that goes both ways. Um, you know, there, there might be a, yeah, there might be a trainer out there. The exact same thing who has, uh, I don't want to go down to like, you know, down the rabbit holes or anything, but you see that all the time where, uh, someone will look at you, um, trying, trying a new method or, or even stepping away from a method that may not be, uh, right for most people or for the people that you treat. Like, well, why aren't you doing this anymore? And if you give them an actual reason and they dismiss you, then you kind of know where their headspace is. so that 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 goes across the board. But if you can have an open conversation with somebody and just I'm the reason asking and getting a reason why from somebody, um, and not just because and, and and not to have them just say because I'm the professional and I said so. because how often do we how often do we see and hear that? Because you're coming to me, I'm the professional end of story. Well, give me an actual reason why I'm going to do this. Why is this going to help me? And, and maybe a lot of people, um, don't even go that far, but I think with things like clinical athlete, now you're starting to to open the door and let the, the athlete or the general population say, Oh, it's okay for me to question people because I'm going to seek out help.
1: Exactly. And, it, and, you know, you're kind of alluding to the whole like title thing,
0: yeah. And, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, titles, titles, we go back to like the legality and that's, that's what largely separates a lot of these things is just the term. Like, what are you called? And beyond that, like it's meaningless. And we've, we've kind of started at least in our social <laughs> yeah. media is we don't describe our clinicians. We don't give them their professional title. When we tag them, we just say clinical athlete provider. So-and-so clinical athlete provider, Michael Ray, Derek miles, will be a PT, a chiropractor, you know, whatever, a, med- a medical doctor, a human is a human. So if we're abiding by the laws of physiology and like the you know the hypotheses and theories that in which we understand the way that the human body works right. now with with pain science and and uh, rehab you know science and these types of things it shouldn't really matter what title you are and then if you're a coach okay you have certain le- legal boundaries that you mm-hmm. have to abide by but the conversation still needs to be had cuz you said something earlier on it was like you know, for you, it's like, I want to stay in my lane. And so, yeah, I'm going to give you some low load exercises because those are going to, you're not going to get hurt doing those things. And I 100% agree. What's interesting though, is if we keep people too low load too long, we are actually increasing the risk of injury later on because Mm. they're de-adapting, they're deconditioning, right? And they're not, they're not being prepared. Yeah. They're not being prepared for the stressors that they're going to encounter in life or sport. So, It's almost malpractice the other way to keep people low, low, too long. And so that's where the that's where we need to start to break down these barriers a little bit and have the conversations between clinicians and coaches so that we can find the middle ground. It's like, yeah, maybe you can't run through a brick wall like you could before. We've got to like slow your roll a little bit, (laughs) but you also don't need to just lay on your back and diaphragmatically breathe for an hour. Right. Because that's not doing anything for you either. Yeah. So we've got to. Both sides have to be able to find a middle ground and have to understand the why, and then have some type of knowledge in both realms, like in that first little bit of both realms, so that there's like some we can have a conversation. Yeah. Otherwise, the otherwise the athlete's stuck in the middle. Their left ear is getting something. The right ear is getting something else. And you know, it's just a, it's a cluster. You know what?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no progression. No. I that that. That makes total sense. When I think back on the people that I that I help with uh, specifically shoulder injuries, shoulder issues. Um, I see a lot of those. And when someone comes to me, I have like a, there's a baseline for me of, of five different exercises for mobility or for, uh, you know, and this is also depends if they've gone to see someone, uh, to get a diagnosis and if they have, then it's a much easier for me to be able to progress them along. Um, mm-hmm but if again yeah you're right if if someone just comes to me and says this is bothering me in my mind i know certain cues and movements that are going to be good for them over the long term but uh yeah if they like you said if there's no progression then they're stuck in like fitness purgatory <laughs> for so long exactly. so yeah no you that makes total sense
1: and we don't really maintain well, as an organism, we'll maintain a little bit, mm-hmm. but we we've we allocate our resources to other things. And so it's like if you just say, well, I'm hurt right now, I'm just going to take time completely off from those things. And I'm just going to like I'm going to maintain a little bit. Sure. No, what you're actually going to do is slowly decondition to those things even more. Right. And then the vicious cycle comes when you've waited long enough where the where the pain perception or the sensitivity has died down. Yeah. And then in your mind, it's like, oh, it doesn't hurt anymore. I must be back and I must be ready to jump back into what I was doing months ago when I was prepared for that type of training. And then you do and you're deconditioned, you've leveled down from a conditioning standpoint and a tissue tolerance standpoint and now you have a recurrence and you're in this this vicious cycle of woe is me, what's wrong with me when the question is actually what's wrong with your preparation? And that's why I think the the coaches, the trainers, the strength conditioning coaches are so incredibly vital in this thing because they are seeing the athlete more frequently. Mm-hmm. They are writing, I mean, I think training is is rehab. I think exercise is rehab. yes, i don't I don't see it as a dichotomy. Um, I see it as a graded spectrum. You can't do you can't go as intensely or as or with as much volume as you were doing before, okay. Right then your rehab is just doing a little bit less of that and maybe modifying certain things yeah. to be able to grade you back into your goal. So it's not this dichotomy of like PT or all thing. It's just to the, it's just a spectrum of degrees of, of how you grade it. So if if the coach isn't on board, then the the person that sees the athlete the most gives them their actual exercise program mm-hmm. essentially is, is, the route to being a hundred percent back to function, we're missing that. Yeah. And, and the athlete is kind of stuck. Yeah. They're stuck now as a perpetual patient. Yep. Just in, in and out of the door thinking that they need the physical therapist's magic hands to put them back together, <laughs> which never works, you know, cause it doesn't work like that. Um, but it's probably a great business model for the PT cause you get sure. this revolving business. Like you just like lifelong client. But my thing is like, if I'm doing my job, then my business is gone. They're gonna come back. They're gonna tell their friends. Yeah. And that's how I get my business. And they'll they'll hurt something else because that's what athletes do. You know, eight ten months down the line, it'll be like ah, I jacked up my knee this time. And I'm like, all right. And we'll do the, do some things, and then we'll send them back out to their coach and or trainer to you know progress. But I mean, that's to me, that's the way it should be, and that's hopefully what we're trying to foster with Clinical Athlete.
0: Having that open dialogue and um, and giving a little bit of education at, at and when it's actually needed, that goes so, so far.
1: Oh, it's huge. It's, it's absolutely huge. And I think it's hard, but as a coach finding a, a healthcare provider who you trust as a referral source who like you guys work as a team, a team for the person, right? Not, not this competing entity. That's like playing tug of war with the person. Right. It's like, no, you need to stay in PT a little longer. And the coach is like, well, maybe not. And it's like, there's this, you know, power game going on. Um. So like, I mean, that's, I love that. I love that if, if more coaches and I think that, that idea is much more in, in tune naturally with, with the coaching side of things sure. and the trainer yes. side of things. I think in physical therapy land, we, we far too often think of people as made of glass and that if they're perceiving pain in an area, then, you know, we need to be very delicate with them or else something's going to snap off the bone or we're going to hurt them more and we're scared to get sued and all these types of things. And it's just, it's, it's degradated the progression, like you said before. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, if somebody has got a jacked up shoulder, well, we can train, you got three other good limbs. I say that all the time to people. And I would even take it a step further and argue that you could probably train the shoulder too. Yeah. We just need to modify the thing. Right. You know, sometimes, sometimes people are like, well, my shoulder hurts when I press 90% of my one rep max and up. So I'm just not going to do anything. <laughs> just <laughs> you know, stop. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, it's like the easiest thing is like, okay, we could go lighter, dude. You know, <laughs> ego a Bro. Bit. Um, yeah, right. Or we could we could cut that barbell in half and make it a dumbbell, and that's probably a little bit more comfortable. Or we could do less reps, right. or we could go slower tempos, or decrease range of motion a little bit. I mean, there's so you know, go from overhead to landmine press. There's so many training variables that we could manipulate mm-hmm. before complete rest yeah. is warranted most of the time.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that. Well, you're right. Because when a lot of people will say, um, and I I I'm guilty, but I've said it before this hurts so don't do that and that's not always the right approach but again you know if i if i see somebody 3 times a week half hour each appointment or twice a week half hour each appointment which is more which is more more in tune sometimes it's like i want to get that person the best workout the safest workout as possible so i'm going to take that away maybe for that one workout and then a week later 7 days go by i'm going to say hey let's try that thing that we that bothered you and then If it's still hurting, then maybe we can, we can look at other ways to, you know, to, to train it.
1: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's logical to say like, stop doing the thing that's recreating the exact symptoms that you're feeling. Like that's okay. I get it. Yeah, Yeah. I say that to people all the time. Okay. Stop doing that. Um, and if you've got limited time, I completely understand like they're not they're not there for shoulder rehab, they're there to get a workout. Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. we can bank on Mother Nature doing her thing, healing stuff up, making things feel better, and then we can work back into things. That's also where communication, you know, if you want to then punt, just punt that to a PT in order to get that okay that sign-off, it's like, oh yeah, it was just a little bit of an overreaching injury, they just push it a little too hard That those couple days, and give it seven to ten days, and you can work back into some pressing or something like that. Then you've got You've got more of a peace of mind as a coach that you can just kind of like build into that because you've Mm -hmm. got to sign off from that healthcare professional. And that's why for me, it's so important. Like as soon as the athlete, I make sure I get the athlete's trainer's name and email or coach's name and email. And as soon as they walk out of my clinic door, I'm sending an email off to that trainer or coach explaining those exact things. Like here's what we should avoid, if anything. Here's what we can modify. Here's what they can still do. Let me know if you have any questions. And it just... It, it, it just it's a nice handoff. Yeah. And then that way, the next session, the trainer already can formulate, okay, what are we going to do for the next week or so as in training instead of like waiting for the athlete to come in the door and then having to be probably woefully abridged to the session because the athlete is probably not going to remember half of the shit that I said. Right. Sorry, I cussed. No, go for it. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. okay okay you know they're probably not gonna remember anything that I said and and then so it's just gonna be this like broken summary of our appointment yeah and then the the trainer is gonna have to try to interpret that you know and sometimes it's not gonna be that great of information so they may have to reach out to me anyway yeah so yeah that's just an important something that I think is important is to have a dialogue with the trainer
0: yeah you just came right like full like full circle that person gets ping-pong back and forth until somebody opens the door, and that ball can be like, oh, thank God, somebody's talking to me, not hit me back and forth. Like it, it right. just takes that small little inkling. So, well, that well, this is awesome, uh, Quinn. If if uh, if you don't mind, I'm gonna finish up with a, a couple uh, questions. I like to ask people sometimes. Uh, what is one personal habit that you'd recommend to another fitness professional or a health professional?
1: Mm. Um. Okay. One personal habit. Healthcare professional. Personal professional. I would try to read one book a month.
0: Nice. Good. That actually plays right into my next question, which is recommend a book or article that is on your must read list.
1: Ooh, Well, okay. Do you have a topic?
0: No, no, no. Anything that like, anything that pops into your mind that you know would be a benefit. Go for it.
1: Okay. Well, because, because, I, in this, like a general question like this, I'd like to like what's universal, and communication is universal.
0: Mm, okay. And there's yeah. There's a
1: couple. There's a couple books. There's one book called Crucial Conversations that I just recently read, or I listened to it on audiobook, and then there's another one called Crucial uh, Confrontations. So, essentially, both books, same same author group. They are meant to have to to be able to, um, approach difficult or more difficult conversations, like not, not arguments, the type of conversations that may lead to arguments if one or both parties let their emotions get the best of them.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: So like for, for a trainer, yeah. So for like a trainer, a coach having to have a conversation with their athlete in regards to like compliance with the exercise program or, uh, just any, any issue that's getting, that's interfering with, the progress of the athlete or like, you know, the the, the the tolerance of the coach. Cause you gotta have a good fit there. And like for yeah. the same with the clinician and the client. Compliance issues, um you know, the, maybe the the athlete is has misinterpreted some expectations, which is probably on the client. Like those types of things. Like how to approach conversations and be able to actually move understanding forward so that you end the the discussion, not in an argument where emotions take over, but in a a place where both parties are satisfied with with the outcome and and can kind of go from there. Those two books have been really, really good uh, for that. Awesome. So I I just think communication is so important, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I'll link both of those to the show notes too so people check out those. Um, So Dr. Hinnock, before we let you go, where can people, if they have any questions, comments, concerns, where's the best place to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, you can email info at clinicalathlete.com. So that's just kind of a, a, you know, the direct, most direct way. And then any social media avenue on Clinical Athlete, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And then my personal Instagram is quinn.hennickdpt. I say it's a personal page, but it's still a business. It's still all content, educational yeah, stuff yeah. is my Instagram. Um, and then my Facebook, I have two. I have a coach's page and my personal one. So you can always shoot messages there. Now, I'll just say right off the bat that email's better. Okay. And I'm slower with social media messages, but I get I get to everyone. But also, like, if people have very in-depth, specific injury questions, <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to answer those, you know, via social media. So I'm probably gonna like point you in the direction of Clinical Athlete. Uh, so just like you know, just keep that in mind as a, as a natural filter. But we'll we'll try to do the best we can uh, with the questions. But I you know I respond to everyone. Awesome. Well, so look. Yeah, those are probably the best place.
0: Awesome. Thank. Thanks for everything. Um, I think we've learned a lot, and I, I really, I urge people to check out Clinical Athlete. Um, I've been, a, I've been a, a, subscriber for, I don't, definitely over six, seven, eight months, something like that. And I, u, I use the material all the time. Um, I try to point to it, I save you every single article. It's definitely worth it. If you're a coach, even if you're not a coach, please check it out. Um, so, Dr. Hennick, I appreciate it, and we'll uh, talk to you very soon. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more Fitness Candor.